Turn to 1 Peter 5. Come very near to the end of 1 Peter. As we saw last week, humility before God is the path to being exalted. Humility before God is the path to being exalted. Now that might sound a little bit strange because it's like, is your goal to be exalted or is your goal to be humble? Well, yes. Humility before God means God will raise you up. Not that you'll ever be raised up to the point where you can be proud before God. Right? And it is a reward to be raised up, to be glorified in and through Christ Jesus. That is true exaltation in a way that no pride of man, no position on earth could ever compare to. And so we must, as we are humble, reject fear and anxiety, remembering that He cares for us. And that leads us to being bold in humility. And boldness and humility come together in our passage this morning. So straight from saying, don't be anxious, having humbled yourself, but remember, God cares for you. We continue from there into the next verses in 1 Peter 5. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober of spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. So straight from casting all your anxieties on him to watch out, be alert, be of sober spirit, the devil is a roaring lion prowling around. Does that make you calm and secure at heart, or does that make you a little bit anxious? Thinking about the devil being a roaring lion has the potential to just make us very anxious, right? And yet being humble before God and casting all of our anxieties on him means that we not only recognize, and instead of covering our eyes and pretending like we don't have an enemy, we open our eyes and we are alert and we recognize, yes, we have an enemy and he is severely dangerous. And we are bold in resisting him. 
that flows out of true humility before God and looking to Him rather than looking to our own strength. Now, the devil is a roaring, prowling lion. Those two things are kind of opposite. Okay, so you gotta you gotta be paying attention as you're reading. If you watch nature videos and you see uh, a lion, typically they will show the lion either sleeping, which case you you know you're like, wow, pretty cat, or prowling, in which case you're like, whoa, glad he's not hunting me, or roaring over his prey, right? And then you're thinking, yikes. There's a reason the lion is called the king, right? Well, if the devil is a roaring lion and a prowling lion, you think about what that means. Peter didn't just say he's a lion. He said he's doing something. And it's a metaphor, right? The devil is not literally a lion. The devil is the devil. But he is like a lion, and he is like a lion who both roars and a lion who prowls. Those are his weapons. Sneaking and threatening. Satan, the devil, is sneaking, prowling. A prowling lion gets down low on its belly, hiding beneath the level of the grass, creeping forward silently, slowly closing the distance, trying to get closer to his prey. The prowling lion looks around, walks around. Is there a weakling yet? Is there a weakling. I'm prowling. I'm looking for prey. And so, if you think of the devil and you recognize, yeah, he is sneaky. Yeah, he does look for the weak. He does seek, just like a lion, not to try to attack the entire herd, but to one at a time pull down the weak, the young, those who are separated from the rest of the herd. And so there's a lot of things that we can apply from just that to ourselves. One is, don't be separated from the church. Don't be separated from the rest of the body. You are more vulnerable when you are off on your own. And so you should obey the command of God not to forsake the assembling of the believers. Right? Why? So that the devil doesn't get you. It's that dangerous. It's that much at stake. He's prowling. You think that nobody notices when you skip church. Actually, 
I notice. And even if I don't, because I do have a pretty bad memory, God doesn't forget. He notices. And, and you think, oh, great, way to make me feel guilty. And, I, and then I close and I say, Satan notices. He is prowling around looking for those who are vulnerable. And you make yourself vulnerable by separating yourself from God's people, by refusing to be fed on the preaching of the word, by refusing to be accountable to those whom he has placed around you to strengthen you, to help you, by refusing to submit to elders. These are all things that lead to you being vulnerable to the prowling lion that that Peter says the devil is here. The devil sneaks. But he's not sneaking around with his eyes closed. He's not sneaking around not paying attention to who he can attack most easily and who he can get at. He's paying attention to those who are most vulnerable. He's also paying attention to you. If you think, oh, I've stayed in the body, I'm fine. No, he pays attention to when you are most vulnerable. Right? If he's prowling around, if he's sneaking, he's not only looking for those who are the most weak, he's also looking for when you are at your weakest. Years ago, I remember hearing something, I think it was from a 12-step course, the four letters, H-A-L-T. Do any of you kids know what that spells? What does that spell? Yeah. Halt. And 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 they stand for four times when you are vulnerable to temptation. When you are hungry... When you are angry, when you are lonely, or when you are tired. These are helpful things just to recognize. Satan isn't an idiot. He's a prowling lion. He knows when you're hungry, and he thinks, you know what? I know the weakness of humans. And this is why being hangry is a thing, isn't it? Because we are more vulnerable to giving in to temptation when we are hungry. And so Satan targets us as a prowling, sneaky lion would precisely when we are hungry or when we are angry or when we are lonely or when we are tired. Or there's many others we could add on to this halt, right? And and the, the point of that Those four is, if you feel any of those things, you ought to notice those things. Not notice that you're being tempted. Notice those things first, and then stop, halt. Be alert, be on the watch, be on your guard, be sober of spirit. Don't think, oh, just because I'm hungry, I don't need to, that doesn't mean I need to worry about anything. I'm stronger than that. No. Halt. Well, that's not a biblical command, but you know what is? Be on the alert. 
So the devil sneaks and he looks for the best time to pounce. But you know what else he does? The devil roars. Have any of you ever been to the zoo and seen a lion? Raise your hand if you've seen a lion at the zoo. Okay. Have any of you ever been there when the lion actually roared? We've got fewer hands, but definitely some people have seen a lion actually roar. Was it like a kitty cat? No. Was it intimidating? Yeah, I got some head nods. Was it even maybe scary? Was it scary? Even though they, even though they were behind glass or a fence or something else, did it still scare you? No, it didn't scare you. You, you knew you were safe? That's good. What if there had been no glass? Would you have been scared? It'd be something. (laughs) A lion's roar is meant to cause the prey to freeze. Think about that. It is meant to make the hunted freeze up. It's meant to overwhelm so that you can't think, can't run, don't know what to do. And that gives the lion the chance to pounce again, to attack. So if Satan likes to sneak around and find you when you are least expecting it and when you are most vulnerable. He also likes to intimidate you. It is another weapon that he has. He roars. And that scares you. And then he has you back on your heels, not alert, not up on your toes, not up on the balls of your feet, ready to run, ready to fight, but back, frozen, scared, unable to defend yourself, unable to move. How does the the devil roar? We don't We don't see the devil prowling around as an actual lion. We also don't hear an actual roar from the devil, right? But he has the ability to roar. He has the ability to intimidate and scare us so that he can eat us. How does he roar? Well, one of the ways that The devil roars. We see in other scripture passages where it says that he is the accuser of the brethren. The accuser of the brethren. Brethren meaning the people of God. 
the church of Christ. And accuser meaning that he levels accusations. All too often, they are true. Right? And yet, what is his purpose? His purpose is to set you back on your heels because, oh, you got me. You're right. I am a sinner. Yes, I did sin that way. So that you are not putting your faith in Christ. So that you are not confident in Jesus. So that you are back on your heels. So if Satan has ways of threatening and intimidating us, one of those ways is by accusing. Because that has the ability to make us scared if we don't remember our faith. If we don't remember that God is all-powerful, that he is the one in charge, then Satan will be able to convince you of anything after he convinces you of your sin. Right? There's no hope for you. God couldn't possibly actually love you. You've done this so many times. There's, you're not really a Christian. On and on and on with his accusations. Nobody else struggles with this. You couldn't possibly share it with anybody else. Nobody else would understand. You're the only one who sins like that. You're the only one who's that perverted that, that, that you're six levels deep into reverse psychology in trying to figure out what's wrong with you. Satan is an accuser. And that's one of the ways that he roars at us, intimidates us to silence so that we won't confess our sins, intimidates us to standing still so that we won't flee, intimidates us to running away from God and away from the fellowship of the saints because he accuses us and so we think there's nothing to do. There's no way anyone could possibly love me. There's no way that God can save me. One other way that Satan roars, threatens, and intimidates us is through persecution. Through bringing suffering on us. Right? That's the context that Peter is writing about most directly, and so we obviously shouldn't forget that one. But here's the good news. The good news is we have weapons. We have armor. Now, I thought about bringing this over, but I'll just walk over to it instead because I don't want to. I don't want to make this thing fall apart. Okay, over here. You see this, kids? What is this? 
See, I don't even, I hardly want to move it. Can you all see it? Here, let me move this. Okay. None of it's hidden, right? Uh-oh. Okay. Can you all see it? Okay, good, because now I've got a question for you. What is missing? Well, yeah, the person is missing. That's a good answer. Not the answer I was looking for. Yes. The shield. The shield is missing, isn't it? Is a shield important? Even when you have armor, shield is important, isn't it? As a matter of fact, Ephesians 6.16 describes all of the armor and weaponry that the Christian has that we're to be alert in putting on. And it, verse 16 says, in addition to all, so there's all, right? In addition to all of that, taking up the shield of faith, do any of you kids know what the shield of faith is for? Anybody? What's that? Blocking out Satan. It continues, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to block out Satan. With which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Is a shield important? Shield is important, isn't it? And the shield is what? The shield of faith, precisely. We have weapons. We have armor. And so when he says, be of sober spirit, be on the alert, that's that's the first weapon. That's the first defense, right? The first defense is paying attention, not sleeping when you're supposed to be praying. The first defense is being of sober spirit, not being happy, go lucky, pretending like there's never anything at stake, like life is just a joke. And spiritual matters are just for like a little period of time where you're at church. But before and afterwards, everything's just a joke. Everything's just funny. Not being drunk. It says sober spirit. Soberness is part of that. Not being on drugs. It's remarkable. I preached this yesterday at the jail. I was able to go to the jail for the first time in a year and a half. It was great. And uh, in that context, you, you can't help but realize being sober-minded, being of sober spirit is also just plain sobriety, isn't it? 
There's a reason that it's called being sober, and the reason is because sober-mindedness, sober of spirit, is automatically out the window when you're drunk or when you're high. You cannot be sober-minded and drunk. You can be morose, you can be angry, but you can't be alert. So that's the first, our first two defenses. Our first, first two lines of defense are like the guards outside the camp. The guards outside the camp are paying if they're sleeping on their, on their post and the enemy gets in, they have not been alert. Right? And if everybody inside the camp is having a drunken party, they're not sober-minded, the second line of defense is gone. And you know, it's remarkable the number of times that armies are defeated this way down through history. That the guards are asleep or not alert, not paying attention. They got lured off into doing something else, into thinking about something else, to a conversation with each other. Whatever it is, they're not alert. And then, the rest of the army is like, hey, we got guards out there. Let's have a party in here. only for the enemy to swoop down upon them straight through the unalert guards and destroying those who are not sober, not sober-minded, not remembering, hey, we're in the middle of a campaign, we're in the middle of a battle here, a war. We don't have the leeway, the freedom to just be hanging out, doing whatever we want. We have to be sober-minded. We'll get a break after the campaign is over. And so it is with us. We will not permanently, perpetually deal with Satan prowling around threatening us. There will be deliverance. There will be a break. Not just a break, an eternal rest. You remember the beginning, that imperishable inheritance. That's coming. It's not now. Right now we're on campaign. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Peter is concerned. He's concerned for us. He's concerned for the people that he's writing to at that time. And one of the reasons he's concerned is because they are suffering. And he knows that suffering is particularly a danger to the faith. It's particularly dangerous because it is particularly tempting when we suffer. You want to add an S onto the end of halt? Halts? S for suffering. When you are suffering, 
and particularly when you are suffering persecution. We've dealt with this many times, as suffering is a theme and the persecution is a theme in this book, that there is a temptation when suffering persecution to turn away from God. I've told you stories of men who were suffering persecution and who then rejected the faith. And so, Peter knows that persecution is a danger, and it's a physical danger, and it's a spiritual danger at the same time. When we suffer physical persecution, it is also a spiritual attack. It's an attack on our spirit through our bodies, right? The goal is to get you to stop being obedient to God. That's spiritual. The method is by hurting your physical body. Or by hurting your feelings, or by making you feel threatened in some way, or on and on the number of ways that we can suffer persecution, right? And so... Recognize that when you are undergoing suffering, and in particular when you are undergoing suffering for the faith, that is the devil hunting you. And so that's why we put it on the, on the end, halts, right? Because, again, that ought to cause you to wake up. That ought to remind you to be alert. That ought to remind you to be sober-minded. That ought to remind you to raise up your shield. Because you know the fiery darts are coming. You're already feeling them. Now you have to put them out. Extinguish them. How are you going to extinguish, extinguish them? Faith. Faith. You see... The hunting devil, that prowling, roaring lion, through persecution is seeking to cause you to stumble, to turn away from the faith. It is by faith that we are able to resist him. It is the devil's hope. It is his desire. It is his goal to turn God's people away from him through their suffering. And this is a constant down through church history. Think of Job. Think of Satan standing before God saying, if you let me destroy his wealth, surely he will turn against you. Was Satan right? No. Job had faith, didn't he? Satan goes, yeah, but if you let me destroy his health, surely he will turn against you. Was Satan right? No, he was wrong. Job had faith. But how often has the devil been right with that claim? 
How often has his suffering that he brings on God's people been effective in causing them to stumble? The Israelites, when the Egyptians are chasing them, we read about this in my, uh, our family devotions last night. They finally get to leave the land. They finally get free of the Egyptians. And what do the Egyptians do? They go, what have we done? They hop on their chariots and their horses. They mount the army together, goes after the Israelites And the Israelites go, Moses, what have you done? It would have been better for us to serve as slaves in Egypt than to die out here in the wilderness. Why did we let you lead us? Why did we follow God's command to leave Egypt? You see, that's what they're asking. Why did we put our faith in God? Now we're suffering. Now we're scared. Now we're anxious. What's going to happen to us? What's going to happen to our children? We're all going to die. Satan's roaring is effective, isn't it? And yet, God delivers them. God delivers them. In spite of their shallow lack of small faith, right? I mean, it's so pathetic. And it only gets worse when you realize what they continue to do as they're walking through the wilderness. The Israelites the saints that Peter is writing to, us, we all face this exact same temptation, don't we? That when it's going to hurt, we suddenly begin to question and say, I don't know if this is really worth it. I don't know if I really want to serve God. Resist him firm in your faith. Resist him firm in your faith. You can't get firm then, you guys. You have to have a firm foundation already. Then you will be able to resist him firm in your faith. You have to know already what you believe. You have to know already that your only hope in life and in death is Jesus Christ and his blood. You have to know already that persecution is coming. You have to know already that Satan is prowling. You have to know that you are pursuing God anyway. You have to know that you are seeking to obey him anyway. This is like to be firm in your faith. Now, we've seen that one of our weapons is 
being alert. One of them is being sober. Then faith. Faith is a weapon. You say, it's a shield. And I say, that's right. That's what I said. It's a weapon. Let me, let me put it to you this way. Do you need a shield when you're running away? Is a shield any good when you're running away? Can you hold it back here and protect yourself while you're running away? You can't, can you? A shield is only helpful when you are going forward facing your enemy. When you are on the offensive, when you're on the attack, then a shield does something. It gets in front of you. It protects you. He's trying to attack me. Can you tell? He's really <laughs> aggressive. It's only good when you're on the offense. And you know what else? Whack! You can lower it and raise it up and catch him with the edge right under the That's faith in the devil's face. That's how you resist him with your faith. And you know what will happen? He'll run away like a little kitty. James 4.7 says, Submit therefore to God. Notice the theme <laughs> that it's just this, that humility of being under God, right? And then resist the devil. Submit therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. You bring live faith before the devil. And he has nothing he can do. You know why? Because your faith is in Jesus Christ. And the devil has nothing on Jesus. No accusations. No power. No wisdom. Nothing. And so when you come with Jesus Christ... The devil runs. But the only way you have Jesus Christ is by faith. That's how you have Jesus as a weapon on your side. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Saved from what? Well, among other things, the prowling, roaring lion, the devil. That's a good thing to be saved from, isn't it? Also, your sin. Also, his accusations. Now, Peter gives us one more defense. And that is, by the way, you're not alone. 
By the way, just so you remember, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. Remember how I said, down through history, the church, God's people, have been tempted by their suffering to turn away from him? What that means is that down through history, the people of God have always been under attack, have always been suffering, have always suffered persecution. Of course, we know this. We've been told all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's no surprise, is it? You are not the only one suffering. Whatever your suffering is, you are not the only one. And that's supposed to help you. It's supposed to help you because you realize that in the past, God has brought his through this. And it's supposed to help you because you realize that right now, just as you need strength, so others need strength. And what does that do? That causes you to turn to God, doesn't it? You think, man, I hate this. Man, this is miserable. Man, I don't like this. Man, I'm tempted. And you think, you know what? So is somebody else. I'm going to pray for them. They're going to pray for you. Now, that's encouraging, isn't it? Not only are, is history full of other people who have gone through the same things, but Jesus Christ faced the same temptations as you, and a high priest who can sympathize with us in our weakness, he also faced the same suffering and worse. Ultimately, far worse, suffering the rejection of his heavenly Father, suffering the punishment of hell that our sins deserve. And so we have faith. And so we are saved. And so we have strength to resist the devil because we are not the only ones. We are not alone. We have other brothers in the world right now who are suffering the same things with us. And then we get this beautiful promise, this wonderful, wonderful conclusion, the resolution. The resolution is that the God of all grace is the one who's on your side. All grace. Now, you know God is love, right? But have you ever thought about what this phrase, the God of all grace, means? Remember, he cares for you. We saw that, right, in verse 7? And he is gracious. He's the God of all grace. All true grace comes from him. 
There's a lot of false grace out there, a lot of false grace being promised. But the God of all grace is, yes, allowing you to undergo this suffering right now. And, yes, has guaranteed that he will bring you through. He is the one who called you. Verse 10, after you have suffered for a little while, and it doesn't matter if you've suffered your entire life, it is a little while. It is a short time of suffering compared to our eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Eternity with Christ. Paul asks elsewhere, what is it worth comparing? You know, they don't even compare. What is this? What is life, this short little life of suffering in comparison with an eternity in the presence of Jesus Christ. Not even worth comparing. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Remember, he's the one who called you. Speaking of grace, right? Because we know, even even Satan knows that we didn't deserve to be called. That's one of the things that Satan will use as his accusation against you, right? You say, that's right. That's right, Satan. I didn't deserve it, but the God of all grace called me. It was grace. He's the one who called me. And you know what he called me to? His eternal glory in Christ. And nothing can make Satan more frustrated than that. Seeing God, seeing people saved from the death and destruction of hell that he desires them to fall into. What, what about that God of all grace? What about that one who called you? Who called you to his eternal glory in Christ? What about him? Oh yeah. He himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. If any one of those words wasn't enough on its own, the whole gamut is covered, isn't it? Every part of what you need is there in resisting Satan, in, pers- in persevering through suffering. Every last bit of what you need. He's going to perfect you. He's going to confirm you. He's going to strengthen and establish you. It puts you, puts you straight back to the beginning of the passage, doesn't it? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And then you realize it's really important and encouraging that his hand is mighty, isn't it? If he's the one who's promising to confirm, strengthen, protect, bring you through, it's a good thing he has a mighty hand, isn't it? And that's how he ends. To him be dominion forever and ever.
Amen. Not to him be the glory, not to him be the honor, not to him be the praise, to him be dominion. What is dominion? It is when you dominate. You've seen games where one team dominated the other. God, our Heavenly Father, will dominate. And that's what Peter's prayer is. God, dominate everything. Dominate everyone. Dominate Satan. Rule by your mighty hand. And rule with grace towards us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what joy it gives us to know that we can rely on you. That you have not left us alone. That you have not forgotten about us, that that is not the reason we are suffering, that it is not because there is no hope for us, but that you will protect us from Satan, that you have given us the tools and the weapons that we need, and that you will perfect us and strengthen us, that you will confirm us in the faith that you will establish us in your kingdom. And so we cast all of our anxieties and all of our cares, all of our suffering and pain, all the weakness that we have and all of the ways that we have failed to serve you, all the times that we have not only not been alert, but that we have gone seeking the lion. because we desire to sin. Father, we cast all of these things at the foot of the cross, putting our faith in Jesus Christ that we might be saved. Father, do save us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.